I'm Ellie, and I love the public sector. Do you like to sit around for a while? Found yourself a little pet crocodile. Do you like to just live in the moment? Do you like the stars, the moon, and the comets? What do you like, do you like? 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 Welcome to What Do You Like, the podcast where we get to know a person through their passions and hobbies. Today on the podcast, I get to speak with someone I've known for many years, but have kind of lost contact with recently. So this is a really exciting conversation to have, kind of reconnect. Um, I got to know her through a nonprofit called Students Today Leaders Forever. Um, This nonprofit, we would like help out different uh different communities on like a road trip style um, <laughs> which when you're in college is like an, an amazing idea where like i get to travel all over the place and get to say that i'm still a good person um <laughs> so that really drew me in and then i really fell in love with the organization um it also very much affected who i am today um so that's my connection with the, with the guest today. I will say before she has a chance to even talk, there was one time where she was really excited to go on one of these tours with me saying that she'd <laughs> never done one. Um where I then had to remind her that we did do one together. Um and it was a very memorable one cuz it was a very challenging one and it took her a while to even remember that it even happened. <laughs> Um, we all process our grief differently, Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the voice you just heard is uh, my good friend, Ellie. Welcome to the podcast, Ellie. Thank you so, so much for asking me to be here. Absolutely. I thank you for agreeing to come on. Um, and th- what we're talking about today kind of leads into kind of how we met. Um, we met through a nonprofit, um, but you've now kind of transitioned and our, our, your passion is more like public sector, like nonprofit, helping people. You can describe it even better than I can. Yeah. Um, so I want you to give like a, a brief update or a brief description of what your passion is. Absolutely. So the topic I chose to chat about today is the public sector, which I it can be defined in probably a few different ways. Some folks might disagree with me grouping the nonprofit sector in as well, but I consider public service to be anything in the not-for-profit space, which includes nonprofits, of course, uh, as well as government, um, you know, various institutions that have been created to um, administer goods and services to society. I think, I mean, I think that, 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 I think that grouping makes the, the absolute most sense. Um, yeah, they're definitely related. The The nonprofits obviously are governed by some different policies and have different um, kind of tax IDs, et cetera. But they, the kind of the goal similarly is to do good for our communities. Sure. And neither of us work for the IRS, so we don't really care about the, that <laughs> stuff. Thank um, God. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Hey, I'm not IRS if you're out there. I'm not saying I never want to work for you. If you want to throw a nice sponsorship behind this podcast, Ooh. we can work it out. I don't think they've ever, <laughs> they've ever sponsored our podcast before, but yet, uh, but that's I the know. key is yet. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure my tens of listeners out there would definitely love to know more about 
the different tax forms so they can really maximize their return. Yes, that's very important. Yes. Uh, I was just reading that all of our paychecks are getting a little bit bigger right now. Yeah. And then but they're going to get a little bit smaller in, yeah. in January. So this is a public service announcement <laughs> for your listeners. Yes. Do not spend that extra money. Save it away for when they take it back from you in the spring. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And then just, I mean, it doesn't even, it's not even that much, is it? I have no idea what percent it is or. Yeah, I don't know anything about taxes. I, just know I got paid. A, I got paid a few days ago. I didn't know. It didn't feel substantive if it was a larger paycheck. It did not feel better that paycheck yeah. versus the one before. So. I mean, the, knows? it does feel good that it's not going to feel as bad in January. Hopefully. Yeah. Came in and notice it. Exactly. Yeah. We won't. Exactly. Um, but so back on to the public sector and, and, and the helping, basically the helping sector where the whole idea is to make our country, our world better. Um, where did this kind of start with you? Was STLF the, like your entrance into the helping sector? Totally. Um, I got involved with STLF truly by coincidence. I just happened into an info session before I even took my first college class, I was, you know, they have a welcome week, they get students ready to be in college. And I happened to walk into a room where Greg Tavine was speaking and um, some other STLF staff, uh, you know, students and staff were there and I got to meet these wonderful folks. And that was my first introduction to the organization. Um, many of the folks who started STLF and who were active in it when I joined were in business school, but they were involved in this nonprofit sector uh, emphasis. So there was like a degree program that they had started and that a lot of STLFers were active in and it was focused through the business school in nonprofits. And I loved that idea that you could learn these skills Um, similar to the peers that were going into these, you know, for-profit companies and walk away with the same skills, but be able to apply them to nonprofits. And I ended up lasting a whole year, (laughs) only a year on that path toward this nonprofit major, because I learned really quickly that the for-profit sector, this business school, didn't really see nonprofits as the same. So I was going into these classes like accounting and finance and these things that should help me be like a, you know, stronger contributor to this important field of nonprofits. And then I would sit down and they'd say, this is the foundation for everything that you need to know, unless you're going into nonprofit, then this isn't really the basis for, for that. So you'll have to take another class for that later, which was not very inspiring. (laughs) And so I ended up kind of popping over into different majors, but that's still, even though that wasn't the right kind of college path for me, um, it still was my introduction into realizing that there was, you know, I was not politically active when I was in high school. I was not connected to any larger cause. I just kind of went through the motions and, you know, was in student, was, you know, a, a student body rep and was on the yearbook committee when I wasn't necessarily like very active in doing anything larger. Um, And so STLF was my first intro point to this realization that service mindsets and um, being committed to working for the public good could be possible. 
Uh, and so I kind of took my own path to continue that work and uh, haven't really stopped in the last, gosh, 12, 12 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, a, is a common theme, like college is where you go to like discover yourself. And I know when I started college, I started college, my major was um, math ed. So like high school level math. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I can barely count now. <laughs> um, but like in high school, I was like, I was, I was, in general, I was always good at math and I always wanted to kind of be a teacher. Um, so when I went to college, very similar to you, I not, not super similar, but I took some like math, like I took Calc 2 in college. Oof. And I sat there and I was like, I hate all of this. <laughs> and I was like, this, I, this can't be my career. Like I need to get out. So I, have to ask I, a, I have to ask a clarifying question, Jeremy. Sure. Was Calc 1 was like, oh, that's a breeze. I love me some Calc 1, but Calc 2 gone too far was it like that that it just for some reason it was calc 2 that broke it or were you kind of trending in the direction of hating calc in general and calc 2 pushed you over the edge so i didn't necessarily so i took calc 1 in high school i was lucky enough that my high school had ap courses sure okay take calc 1 in high school so i had an entire year okay to do it and um a funny story about that. I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast, but when I went to take the AP test, so like to get AP credit, um, you need to take a test and it's a score out of five. Sure. And then different schools have different, uh, what score allows you to get credit for it. Um, so I took the test and during the test, there's like some multiple choice. And then there's like the, these like long math problems that you had to solve. Mm-hmm. I think they give you three of them and you have to answer, you have to choose which two you're going to do. And I was able to do one of them, Hmm. but the other two, I had absolutely no idea. Oh no. I was so lost. (laughs) Oh no. So instead of just leaving it blank, I was like, I need to do something. I literally wrote an apology letter on the, on the test. I wrote, I just want to apologize to the person grading this. I have no idea the answer to this question. I want to apologize to my teacher, to my family, to my friends. That's everything. so nice, Jeremy. Um, and I ended up getting a three out of five, which get me college credit. So oh, I don't know. That's amazing. I think the I think the apology letter got me some bonus points. Cause apparently they I later found out, like our teacher said, Yeah, the test was not aligned very well. It was a very bad test. Oh, and so it, they were it, it's great on a curve. So like everyone did bad. So it's like nice. But I like to think that I probably had that it pushed you over the edge. And that, that, that pushed it up. <laughs> um, Sorry, you were taking, so you took Calc 2. I totally derailed you. No, that's took fine. Calc 2. Uh, it wasn't for you. And so you kind of switched gears, I'm assuming. So then, so then I, I, I did like a, a small shift to middle level education mm-hmm. with an emphasis on math and science. Like the level of math and science is a lot lower. Um, totally. But then I realized. And then part of this is STLF's fault. <laughs> um, the The public school system was not something that I was going to thrive in. Sure. Um, the The act of teaching I enjoy, the act of politics in my job was not something I was going to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so I very quickly switched. Um, I ended up graduating in sociology, which again was influenced by STLF. Um, totally. Like to understand people. Yep. Um, 
And yeah. So that, I, I think again, like college is very much a time where you, everyone says you should know, like the idea that college should start at 18 is garbage. I completely agree. Um, I think there should be, we should all move to Australia and do the gap year like they all do. There, I have to assume that there are some kids and I really was the kid like on paper, I was the kid that should have gone to college right away. I was very, I was a good student. I was very driven. I really do think that even though I wish I didn't go at 18, I think I was lucky that it worked out and that I like did kind of find a way to stumble through it. I graduated in four years, which I don't think is a metric that needs to be seen as successful, right? People graduate in three or five and a half. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I still, you know, I was able to kind of figure, I figured it out on the fly, but I think going into it, I thought I would be much, it would be much easier to figure out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to major in. And that absolute realization that I, I should have taken some time. I should have kept working. Can I swear? Yeah, you can say I, whatever you want. I should have kept working at my shitty high school job and just gone full time <laughs> for a year. I just feel, yeah, I, my brother and my husband both took time before they took any college classes years before they took any college classes. And while we all have different paths, I don't think there's really necessarily a right one or a wrong one. I just feel like when they went, they were committed to learning. When I went to get my master's degree in public administration, which is very related to this, this episode and this topic, uh, I was so excited to be there and so committed to being a better student and being more driven uh, and I was just in the mindset where I was ready for it because I knew what it was going to take and I had saved the money and I had set aside the time and I was ready that I was just so much happier I was still really stressed it was still miserable doing that and working full-time but I was able to get through it obviously with lots of great support from friends and family but partially just because I was in the mindset where I was ready and I knew what I was going to take. And I don't think very many 18 year olds know what it's going to take to be successful in college when they go, because it's so different than high school and, and early life education. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people that when they, the whole idea of going to college is not so much they want to do it, but no more of an expectation. hundred um, percent. So I think the, the, and the, I would absolutely, I, hundred percent. I would be on the board of if you're going to do college right away, do community college for two years. Yes. But I'd almost be a hypocrite because I definitely grew a lot in that two years. Totally. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely, there's different pros and cons for both. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm just in the same boat, right? I am who I am today. I do what I do today because of what I learned, you know, days before I took my first college class when I met these people who welcomed me into their lives and into their community and completely changed the course of my life. Um, and for that, I, I'm happy I did it the way I did, even though I felt a little lost a lot of that time, kind of, as I mentioned, stumbled my way through it, but I still know it was, I'm happy I did it. Would I have done it differently if I could go back? Maybe, but I'm also really happy with the choices and, and stumbling through it proved to not be the worst, despite, you know, the massive college debt that we still have, but that's fine. We won't <laughs> talk about that in this episode. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> I might, maybe, Ooh. maybe once uh, this kind of 
blows up and becomes really popular, I'll I'll start a podcast empire and we can have a podcast on crippling student debt and then <laughs> it'll be it'll be a fun one. Truthfully, it's like in some kind of silly way, it does feel all related to me, right? You talked about wanting to be a high school teacher and you would have loved the work, but the politics of it would have really taken its toll on you or would have have been trouble or difficult. Yes. Um, And in the same way, I actually do think public debt or um, student loan debt and the debt that so many folks our age have from attending four-year college it all does kind of connect to this bigger picture of this degrading public sector. Uh, We have that debt partially because we both went to public school for university, um, Mm -hmm. ISU and the University of Minnesota. Uh, We both had in-state tuition, I'm guessing, right? You're from Illinois. I had an in-state tuition though, just that's how they set it up with Minnesota and Wisconsin, getting in-state tuition for each other's schools. And, and I still have debt that I'll be paying off for years. And part of that is because the government has stopped investing in higher education in the same way, um, among many other factors, but that's absolutely one of them. So I do think as kind of silly or strange and off, off topic seemingly as we went, I think it's all relevant. And I do think it all still kind of connects to why I care about the public sector. When I think of October, I think of leave changing colors, warm apple cider, staying warm around a campfire, and being scared shitless the entire month. The good news is, I can be comfortable while terrified by wearing the great apparel from thecrypticcloset.com. There you can get your horror parody t-shirts, masks, and the world famous Fanny DeVito. And exclusively for listeners of this podcast, you can use promo code WDYL20 at checkout for 20% off your entire order. Again, that is promo code WDYL20 for 20% off your entire order at thecrypticcloset.com. Now I'm going to go hide under my blankets for the rest of the month while you enjoy the rest of this episode. The public sector is like this... It's the, it's the, what is it, the phrase, the 800 pound gorilla in the room? Like it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like you might think that you are completely uh, like separated from the public sector. Like you, you, you can live in the mountains, be away from everyone else, but you are absolutely affected by the public sector because totally. if, if you are, I mean, the, the mountains are probably some sort of protected area. In yep. America, the reason it's it's still not inhabited is because someone protected it. Because there's no reason the business world, there's nothing stop. Like if <laughs> if areas were not protected, they would just develop everywhere and be like, oh shoot, we have too many houses. <laughs> yeah, and then so tear that- them tear them down, and then be like, oh, we have more people, let's build them again. And they're like, oh man, we didn't count again, and then tear it down. Like yep. that's that's the whole idea of like the the private sectors. Like they're always trying to grow. Um, yes. But the public sector is there to say, like, well, hold on, we got to think about. Yeah, the here. roads, the roads that, like, you know, the county roads that get that person to their house in the mountains. Um, I'm in, I live in Seattle, and um, today is um, the, the one of the biggest news stories in the country is the fires on the West Coast. 
Um, I know this obviously will be put on your podcast a little bit later, but uh, today that's what's going on in our country. One of the many things and the service agencies that are fighting to put those fires out and to rescue people from their homes and to have advanced warning alarm systems and all of these different things are all public resources. Um, So yeah, I completely agree. The for-profit companies might choose not to build, build houses somewhere because it's hard to get to them and they'd have to build the roads themselves, et cetera. But our society exists, the, you know, the infrastructure of interstates we have, um, train lines that have been built throughout time. I'm not saying it was all done perfectly or that it doesn't have historical, you know, hurt, you know, our government perpetuated a lot of problematic things throughout the last few centuries. I, I am in no way trying to minimize that. But I also still do believe that there are just certain components of living in a society that should everyone should be able to have access to certain things like a like mail, right? Like the post office and <laughs> and roads and clean water and all of those things, um, among many others. But yeah, to your point about that person living in the mountains, they absolutely unless they really wanted to live off the land and be completely disconnected from society, they couldn't do it without the public sector yeah and i mean the the whole idea like i think that it's good for people to be reminded um i mean we talked about the taxes earlier um and i think it's always a a stressful idea like why why am i giving these taxes to this government they never spend it right and there's an argument there but the whole idea of taxes is that you're providing into this public good so that the world you live in is like structured and together like yeah you wouldn't have you wouldn't have a fire department if you didn't have like the public sector like totally um so so let's kind of reel back to so you graduate college yep you have this newfound passion for the public sector and and setting up the, the the country so that it is the most efficient and helps the most amount of people. Mm-hmm. Your first job out of college quick was, wrong, was STLF. So it you, is. Yeah. You kind of had like a little, you had like a little gap where he like, were able to continue a lot of the work that you're already doing. Um, what was that like? Did you feel like that was like a good buffer before moving on to like other things? I did. Um, yeah, I, I kind of got into a, a little bit of social media hot water for being critical of STLF. And as a former STLFer, I, I hope you'll hear that everything I, I say in the next few minutes, I love my time in STLF. I love the people. I love what it taught me about the world um, and about listening to others and being open and hearing their stories and valuing them. Um, but STLF was actually really great because while in college, it was obviously such a huge part of my life, but I started to realize this poll saying, you know, we're traveling by road trip, as you, know, you described earlier, we're traveling by road trip, we're visiting the city for a day, we're doing a service project for a few hours, we're spending a lot of time as a community on this bus um, and or in kind of reflecting and, and communicating with each other. And it's really powerful. But I started to get this poll 
that made me realize that while STLF was so impactful for me, and I think a lot of the folks who participated, as well as absolutely some of the communities we visited, visiting a city once or twice a year for four or five hours, it felt like there was just so much more, so much bigger work that had to be done, right? If we were, if we're in the Appalachian Mountains visiting this really impoverished town, doing great work at their Goodwill or in a food bank, that's amazing. That is really powerful work that can get done. But that level of work isn't sustainable for them because 40 volunteers are going to just jump on the bus and head to the next city after they're done. Um, and so again, while I'm being a little bit critical of the model as far as creating large systemic change in our society, I'm not being critical of it achieved its mission from my perspective of revealing leadership in people and individuals. I think that's absolutely something that it did. I just started to realize that for myself in my career, I wanted to find ways to really embed in one community or in larger systems in a way that could create a larger scale sustainable change versus kind of that bouncing around and, and touching as many people as possible. Because if you're just there for a few hours, that yes, there, you got a, a mountain of work done that would have taken the two staff members there weeks but then you might not be back at all. You know, that might be the only time they get that kind of help. And what they really might need is more investment and, you know, fundraising capacity. They might need um, more donations from the community. And we didn't bring those. We just helped organize donations, et cetera. So STLF kind of indirectly, though it didn't meet working there and being a volunteer and being involved for years you know i was therefore involved for for eight or nine years very directly as a constant volunteer student staff member intern um and then moving on into staff role it taught me so much about people and and why i care so much about community but it didn't meet those larger pulls to um, create that sustainable change in in an organization or in a community and so many times if you are treating symptoms by volunteering at a goodwill instead of treating the larger systemic problems in policy um, that lead folks to need workforce training or or yeah I mean I'm not goodwills maybe not the best example because I think reusing materials is great. Um, but you know, various nonprofits, if you're treating the symptom to poverty or homelessness versus actually getting people into housing or getting them out of poverty wages, um, then there's more work to be done from my perspective. Sure. And I think that's, that's, I don't think I, I can't imagine a former STLF member being critical of that statement. Cause I don't, I think very much that was STLF's model. What, no, there's never the expectation that they were going to come in and fix the problem. It was more as bad as it sounds. It wasn't, it's not bad. Um, what itself was for was mostly for the people on the trip. It was a leadership Absolutely. development yep. um, and it, being exposed to these problems. Um, like when those tours were done really well, you would, you go and you do a service project, but also you would learn about the area and you'd learn about, like, I know I led one project. We were helping out a, 
um, like a boys and girls club in Indiana. And I know a lot of the students were like really struggling. Like, why, why are we doing like this yard work? Like, yeah. and I was like, well, we're in an area that's very impoverished that um, this boys and girls club is probably the only safe, affordable place they can go to like be kids. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is what this place is. Um, and once they kind of understood that, they're like, oh, I, I definitely understand this now. Like, um, mm-hmm. and the idea is not so much like the work we did was fine, but like, it's more so the lasting understanding of the people on that trip. Yep. Um, and I think you very much got that out from the organization. Like you learned about all these different areas of, uh, need in the community instead of like, some people might find like, oh, we did this, uh, this, uh, project playing bingo at a nursing home (laughs) i fell in love with the idea of like these are people end of life just just want to make them comfortable and make them feel valued um, while they kind of transition this is what i'm going to focus on or other people might look at invasive species invasive (laughs) plant species and be like this is a really big problem we need to make sure that we keep our forests set like clean um, from all these different, because we're in a global society now, it's so much easier for all these invasive species to come in and ruin our forests. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you kind of, you kind of took, a, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, that's a really good point. I, I remember sharing that with students a lot that, you know, I, when I was on staff, I would be working with these middle school, high school, college students and making that connection. So I'm grateful that you kind of brought it back into my memory of letting folks know, yeah, um, uh, maybe this just helps some folks who've never volunteered realize that when they do get back to their community, this is the area that they're really passionate about. Maybe it doesn't resonate in the same way with others and they just take away from it some of the relationships they built with their peers. There were so many positives. Um, And I guess kind of my takeaway is thinking about it in that lens of some students got really involved in, in environmental issues because of the work we did, or they maybe yeah, elder care is another great one. Um, and supporting folks at end of life care and, and relationships because they can get super lonely in nursing homes um, and retirement communities. My takeaway was just, what about this whole, <laughs> this whole field, this whole field, I want to look at it. And it wasn't just STLF. I'll, I'll make a plug as well for another organization that I was involved in in college, which was called HECUA. Uh, and HECUA stood for the Higher Education Consortium for Urban Affairs. And it was a, a credit conferring program. So I took a semester long program from them and I got 16 credits toward my degree, my, my bachelor's degree. And they, my class was called, um, gosh, they've changed the name a few times since, but it was called Inequality in America. Um, and it was focused on, I, I stayed in the Twin Cities. I was still a University of Minnesota student, but I took this semester long program where I was in class two days learning about systemic issues plaguing our society, specifically our kind of urban areas and our cities. Um, so we talked about, you know, discrimination and racism in housing. We talked about the lack of access to care in these various public service industries. We talked about a lot of historical context for all of it. Uh, And then three days a week, we were in internships. And my internship happened to be focused on 
um, advocating for the end of homelessness through direct outreach to homeless individuals, as well as through legislation and advocacy at the Capitol. And that also, those kind of two factors in my college experience just shifted my entire awareness and my entire scope of what was wrong and why things were the way they were in our society, why this was an area that I felt so strongly about, um, and, and why so many needs weren't being met by the public sector or the private sector, and really challenged me to continue just staying engaged in that work and, um, and just driving for, for change in the public sector. That's just, it's interesting you use that, that that term driving for change. Like, what is it in you? Like, is it just like you look at all the the ways that the the private and public sector both are kind of falling short on society? Is it just like this dry, like this feeling inside you saying like, I cannot just sit by and let this happen? Um, is it like, is there any certain thing? like that you see you're like if if we can fix this one like is is where where do you kind of start with this my number one fact that i come back to is that we live in a society that has this mindset of competition for resources um right that's people get very tied up in personal property and people are, are very um, invested in small businesses here, right? This idea of owning and building something. I, I am in no way criticizing small businesses or owning personal property necessarily. Um, but for me, the, the opposite, the, you know, the flip side of that coin is the demonization of people who haven't achieved that and the vilification of people who are in poverty, who are homeless houseless, um, the willingness to let folks not receive adequate health care or education, et cetera. Um, from, from at the, like the very core for me, all of those, you know, all the education and all of the personal experiences that I've had have led me to this point of believing firmly that it is not a problem of not having the resources. We don't have the willingness at this point to provide for everyone in a just and equitable way because we're so invested in this idea of like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and um, achieving this American dream all on your own. No one's going to help you when really the reality is that the people who are the most successful have had plenty of help from the government, mm -hmm. from policy, and the people who are struggling have often been left behind in those settings. Um, and, and so it isn't necessarily, right, if we look at one of the biggest forms of government benefits that have changed the lives of many, 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 many people over, over ge generations, um, which is the GI Bill, going into how you can buy a home or what education you can pursue for what cost. Um, those benefits weren't extended to all veterans after multiple wars uh, in you know, the 40s, or you know, multiple wars through, I don't know exactly all the specifics around when they became maybe more equitable, but I know that it was within my parents' <laughs> lifetime that it became more equitable, and that's super problematic. Sure. And I, I think it's a good way, and I totally understand why that would be kind of like your 
the lens you'd see the world and how would it drive you towards the public sector? Cause it's very true. Like the whole America, there is no American dream anymore. Like the, the amount of people that can come from nothing to something is so yep. minuscule that like, we can't rely on that anymore. And like, I've always like, we're all in a race, but some people are starting at different points. Like I, it, it's very yeah. important to kind of look at where, like I, the fact that I was able to go to college right after high school yep. was very privileged. And I was the, the fact that I was able to change majors and extend my college, like I'm very privileged. And I was very lucky that, I mean, I have some crippling student debt, but like my mom took on some crippling student debt as well to kind of yeah. help me do that. And like, the fact that that was even possible like is very much a a privilege that i had um, yep same so what have you like how have you kind of had these conversations have you had like difficult conversations with people um where it was a little more contentious and they're like they're saying no everyone needs to to do it themselves yeah and i think i think that's a really i think that's a great question because absolutely there are Lots and lots of folks um, kind of in, into, we're kind of moving into a political, more of a political conversation, but I will say it does span both Democrats and Republicans within mm -hmm. the United States who feel very strongly that government is wasteful, that any service that government might provide, the public, the private sector, pardon me, the private sector and for-profit companies could provide it better. Um, there's this complete shift in rhetoric over the last probably about 40 to 50 years of people's faith in the public sector to provide fair and equitable and um, you know realistic resources that are good for communities um, absolutely shifted primarily from my understanding and, and again this is an area where a fact checker might be able to say oh no is nixon more than reagan or something else versus something else but i like my understanding is that reagan's administration in the 80s was absolutely one of the biggest tipping points for um kind of loss of faith in the public sector um and that he consistently kind of pushed these for-profit small business agendas that were that were a little bit more um, harmful in in the public perception that were you know that that created concerns about um, about how business was being done in government agencies or in the nonprofit sector um, and that has continued on. That is not just a Donald Trump thing. That is not just a, a Republican president thing. Al Gore and the Clinton administration, um, Al Gore as vice president, one of his biggest uh, agenda items was fixing waste in the public sector and, and really cleaning up the public sector. And in a way, by using this rhetoric about adopting these business models that were used by these big companies or by instilling this idea that the public sector was wrong, um, that advanced it really far as well. Um, and so that's what I try to kind of share with folks that what we now see, you know, some folks will be quick to say that I'm advocating for socialism and in some ways I absolutely am um, because that's what I believe in, but also it's, it's different. I know that socialism won't be readily achieved 
in my lifetime or in the United States just because of where we are politically. And so for that, it is still very different to advocate for a strong public sector that takes care of citizens versus, um, I'm not really at this point, the, the, my point in this conversation is not necessarily to advocate for socialism. I do think that's a logical conclusion for a strong public sector to potentially be able to build into that, but it is so much more complicated. Um, and so instead I'm truly just advocating for a public sector that isn't hampered by onerous expectations um, or policies that make it harder for them to function, which is what the post office is experiencing right now. Yes. That's well-funded in ways that allow them to achieve their mission. Um, yeah, I can keep going, but I also can sure. stop this if you have any questions. I know I'm rambling. No, no, you're good. I mean, I think it's important. Like, And I think there is this mindset, like when people look like, oh, it should be run like a business. Like, no, it shouldn't because this isn't a business. Like the whole idea right. behind this is, is not to make money and no point at no point should the post office make money. Like it is, it should be, it should basically be run at cost. Right. Um, to provide the service of allowing people to send important documents. Yes. Money, medicine, anything yep. affordably across the country. So that like, I know, especially imagine this, the fact that there, there's the a post office issue in the middle of this pandemic and we're not all like rallying around, like we need to increase funding. We need to support the post office. Yeah. Like I, if a pandemic can't do that, like, I don't know what can't cause like we've relied, <laughs> I know I very much have ordered a lot more things online. Yep. Um, and like, I always kind of dread when they're shipping it via USPS because I know that we're not adequately funding that. And the other options are like for-profit corporations that I also kind of dread because I know that it's costing way more to ship this Yeah. because I know they're trying to make money. Yep. Um, so there's that, there's always that, uh, I think a reminder saying the public sector is not a business. It right. is here to serve our community. Yes. Um, one, one of the biggest things that I come back to as well is that the public sector has been, and I think continues to be, I don't have specific percentages for you, but it is, from my understanding, at least I can say confidently in the state of Washington, where I live, um, the public sector amounts for the largest percentage of union jobs in our state. So the average in, in the United States, let's just say for sake of argument, it's 10%. The public sector might be at 30 or 35% um, of union of unionized employees. And that's a huge factor. And I think why the language has shifted over time away from uh, advocating for supporting public, sex, public sector institutions. And that's because they do pay a living wage. They um, they employ a vast amount of, of Americans in, in pretty solid middle-class work. And so the thing, one thing that's really important to kind of see in all of these trends and, and in this conversation is that the deterioration of the public sector, of government agencies, of these different service providers, et cetera, not only impacts individuals in a community because they're not able to access the same resource, but it also impacts the community as a whole because you have fewer people who are able to get living wage jobs that are unionized where they're able to advocate for benefits and, and um, collectively bargain for fair 
and just equitable practices because also it kind of coinciding with the demonization of the public sector has also been a demonization of unions, which all of that together just deteriorates our middle-class environment or the ability of low and middle-class individuals to sustain a comfortable lifestyle in a world that is, as you mentioned earlier, is like rapidly globalizing, things are becoming way more expensive. Um, and it's all related and it's all really scary to me, which again, just means that I like want and I feel so compelled to get as many people as I can to talk about it and to double down and say that they do value public service being available to everyone equally in all communities, um, that fewer things should be based solely on tax dollars because that's where you see complete disparities in education or in parks departments, et cetera, um, for different communities based on their tax, like their tax base. Um, and instead, we should be funding these things equally across the country, saying that, sure, this is a small rural town, but we should be funding them, you know, in a per capita basis or um, in some other, you know, I'm not an, econom an economist or <laughs> like someone who's great with the math of it all, but this could absolutely, we could be funding parks departments and education and hospitals and all of these other public services, higher education. We could be funding all of these things in a way that is really equitable across the entire country, which would make a huge difference for ending some of the disparities that we're seeing in our country today. Sure. And I think now that we've established that we live in a, a post-apocalyptic hellscape, <laughs> Um, there's an orange light glowing in from my windows from the fires the smoke it's not fires I'm luckily very far away from any fires but the my room has tinted orange <laughs> glow from the smoke covering the sun it's like a Cormac McCarthy novel oh my gosh yeah well I mean we talk about this like the world's ending and I mean in some way in, for <laughs> some people's lives it might feel like that um but we 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 push on every day so one thing I want to talk about like how like to have this passion for the public sector what does this look like in your day-to-day -day life yeah I love I love that question thank you for asking that oh no problem my, it, <laughs> this is it is my job US as a podcast. <laughs> You've yeah, asked to... really great questions. You every question I'm excited to answer. So thank you. That's um maybe it's just cuz it's talking about myself and I'm really vain, but oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. still grateful for it. <laughs> <laughs> um I work at the University of Washington in Seattle, Washington, our Seattle campus, and I'm really excited about my current role. I've been there for 5 years, but I've only been in my current role since April. So right after the pandemic started, I started a new job, which was a terrible idea in theory and in practice, but it actually has worked out really well. And I'm, I'm really lucky and grateful. Um, my work right now is um, as a change manager. Uh, so I work for a beautiful, very prominent higher ed institu institution, right? The University of Washington is the largest university in in Washington, it is like, you know, their big flagship school, state school, um, constantly growing in enrollees, et cetera. It's, it's, a, it's a big higher ed institution, right? And we have a financial system. <laughs> we have a financial system that um, is built on coding languages from, I mean, I think the 80s at the earliest. It's called COBOL. I don't know anything about software or coding languages, but I know that it's very outdated. And so my current role 
at UW is to modernize our financial systems. I'm one of, you know, a handful of folks, a dozen folks roughly, who are helping bring about that change by partnering with stakeholders across the university and trying to make sure that they're comfortable knowing that this change is coming, that we have their needs met, that we're hearing their concerns and, and making sure that as we build this new tool, um, it's a cloud-based tool that exists more widely than UW, but we still have to kind of configure it for our institution. Um, and so in building this tool, we want to get as many voices heard. We want to make sure it will actually meet the needs of the university. We're not just going to say, sorry, good luck. Here's the new tool, <laughs> figure it out, right? So we'll be training folks and communicating with folks. And so while that sounds, A, I know very boring, and B, really small scale, I think at the heart, this is the closest I've ever come to bringing about this actual change in the public sector, right? One of the biggest complaints about the public sector is that it's really outdated, that it's archaic and it's the in the technology that it uses, that they, their practices are always lagging behind the private sector and these big for-profit companies, um, and that we're just slow to evolve. And I don't want to ever, I don't want to say that folks are wrong to have those concerns, but it's kind of chicken and egg to me, right? Is it lagging because people have stopped investing in it and people have started to see it as archaic, so they've stopped trying as hard to reform it? Um, have they spent so long trying to reform it to make it look like the private sector, which as you pointed out, it, it very much isn't. It shouldn't be obsessed with profits and revenue as much as it should be concerned with meeting their basic costs and serving the community. Um, and so this is my first time in five years working at, at this one higher ed institution. This is the first time that I get to play a role in helping modernize and helping bring about a change that will help us be more competitive, more strategic, um, more efficient. And, and simultaneously, it isn't asking the University of Washington to completely abandon all of its current principles and its mission and focus solely on profit. That's not the goal of this. We're not saying the University of Washington should start running like a private college. It's instead saying, let's get you the right tools. Let's invest some money and time and staff time into making UW more efficient long-term. And let's prepare people for that change and make sure that they're ready for it and that um, staff capacity doesn't hold us back from utilizing it to the most effective way possible. Um, so that's how I live it today in my day-to-day -day life. That's obviously kind of my nine to five. Um, and then, you know, other than shouting into the void of the internet, I <laughs> am still kind of trying to figure out what the long game is. I don't quite know that yet. Um, I don't see myself running for public office because nope, that's, <laughs> that sounds yeah. terrifying and awful, but I, I've really struggled in kind of Trump, Trump's America, um, and kind of hellscape. Um, of, of really trying to figure out what makes the most sense long-term. Do I, um, I have a good friend in Minnesota, um, shout out to Lauren, LOL. Uh, Hi, Lauren. Who, hey, Lauren. She quit her job working in, uh, in public health. A great job. She has her master's degree in public health. She quit her job to campaign full-time until the election in November. And I think that came with a lot of ambiguity. I think that came with a huge pay cut. Um, but she yeah. sees that as as public health work because 
the administration that we have right now and, and the policies that are coming out right now are just continuing to take away from future public health resources for the community. So she sees it as just an extension of, of the job she was doing um, and sees it as very well aligned with her master's degree, et cetera. I don't know what that looks like for me. I don't know if I should take that path that Lauren took. I don't know if it looks like, you know, support working in a candidate's office, trying to get a certain candidate elected who might change the rhetoric. I don't know if it just means going on as many podcasts as I can find who will let me talk about why it's not wasteful and why it makes our society stronger, but I'm working toward it. <laughs> if you have any ideas, let me know, Jeremy. Sure. I mean, we can, uh, we'll throw that out to the listenership. Uh, if you have any ideas for Ellie, definitely reach out to, you can reach out to the podcast. Uh, we'll forward on. I don't know, Ellie, if you want to share any of your uh, socials that you want people to reach oh. out to. Um, sure. All of my social media is the same because it's my name. Um, and that's just Ellie Thor's dad. Uh, you, I'm sure you can link it somewhere so that I don't have to spell my last name or I sure. can spell my last name if that's helpful. Um, but folks, so yeah, I, I care a lot about this. I talk a lot about it and I do think it's all connected, right? I, I think I've said that before, right? But public sector being stronger, um, could help end homelessness. It could help, um, ensure stronger voting protection. It could, you know, result in better taxation. I know we, you, we touched briefly on taxation. I think that is a really huge concern for a lot of people when they hear strong public sector that they should, that they're going to be taxed in these unreasonable ways, but it doesn't have to look like that. Taxation in America feels awful because you're not really getting anything for being taxed, right? You, you get some social security benefits or Medicare or Medicaid benefits when you're older. And that's kind of all you get right now, <laughs> like unless you're on some sort of public assistance, which of course is taxpayer funded. Mm -hmm. And it also feels really shitty to find out your taxes are going up or changing or right. Or right now they're going, you know, we joked about the payroll taxes changing to have to tell people, Hey, you're getting this tax cut that will hopefully help you feel more comfortable for the next few months. Um, but then they're not only reversing it, um, they're taking away that benefit that they gave you six months yes. ago. Um, it sucks to hear that. It's so shitty to hear that when Jeff Bezos is paying no money, his company is paying no money. I'm all about fighting against that too. I, Jeff Bezos, if he were taxed even the same rate, even a, a far lower rate than any other American, he could still be outright funding some programs that could offer wild benefits for our country like truly ending homelessness or ending child poverty or like he could make he could be paying tiny fractions of his income annually and still fully fund programs like that and i can't do that right you can't do that our incomes Amer general american incomes average americans income being taxed more hurts us individually Jeff Bezos is the worst and his taxation is so low and it actively hurts people because it's taxed so low. Um, and that's all I think, again, I think it's all connected and it's, that's why it's kind of tough um, to know exactly what the next step should be or exactly how this will manifest in my career long-term. But 
I tried working in the private sector for about a few, I made it about four months <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized that it's not for me. I'm going to kind of stick to this side of things and see what can be done to strengthen it and to continue advocating for it. Sure. And I think it's important to remember there's, there is no like one right answer. I mean, totally. You, 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 Rome wasn't built in a day, which I wasn't there, so I can't confirm, but they say <laughs> Rome wasn't built in a day and I trust them. Yes. Um, but I mean, this, these are large issues and I think uh, your, your passion for them is, it's important to remember like you, you work every day to kind of solve some of these issues, but it's going to take millions of people thinking Absolutely. similar way to like really make these changes. So like definitely reach out to Ellie again. I'll, I'll link all the socials in the description. If you have questions, I mean, she, she's a great resource. Obviously this is what she's, she's focused her life on um, is to the public sector and helping society be the best it can be. Um, so definitely reach out. You could also reach out directly to the podcast. Um, I can kind of filter it if you are unsure about messaging a random person. I can vouch for Ellie, but <laughs> again, I'm probably just as random as Ellie. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, these topics i know this pot and that's one of the things i love about this podcast is we can go from talking to alien conspiracies uh several episodes ago to like this like very important i'm not saying alien conspiracies aren't important because i mean <laughs> the, the, it's all the eye of the beholder <laughs> exactly but like there's this this topic there's a little like, bit of a jump it is <laughs> a little mean, bit it, of a jump in that this is like a day-to-day -day issue for a lot of people um and to have people like ellie that are folk like this is their passion to kind of fix it so to allow me to sit in here and uh, do nothing um <laughs> and drink a dr pepper um like to have people like ellie and it's kind of hopefully we get more people um, once we're able to go outside to kind of like have these conversations in person, um, I think that'd be a great goal. And, and Ali, I'd love to check in with you in the future um, once you kind of decide where you're going and we can kind of discuss that as well. Um, Absolutely. I would love that. I, I really, I agree completely with you. So I just want to say thank you for not only letting me ramble, but also saying that this is not, this is going to take a lot of folks recognizing that we've been, right, it's all, it's so sad. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's all marketing. It's so easy for our public consciousness, like our, our public opinion to shift. And that I really do, it sound. this is where, <laughs> before we started recording, talking about conspiracy theories, this is where it starts to feel like it, right? Like we got here because folks in power recognized that they could get some easy votes by saying they're going to cut taxes. They could put more power into the private sector where they were shareholders who would personally benefit, right? It's all, it does feel a little bit like, a, you know, the pl a plot to a bad 80s thriller <laughs> because that's what, how it started. And now it's led to so much 
more struggle. And it really does impact so many millions of people every day, the lack of access to good and healthy foods, um, you know, strong educational systems, et cetera. The impacts are dire. I don't want to sound too dramatic when I say that, but if we had a more robust system to protect every community to make sure that they did continue to have the postal service versus relying on, on private companies who could decide not to serve their area. Or if we could fix the water system in Flint, Michigan by, you know, rooting out corruption or by not sweeping it under the rug or blaming, you know, just the utility company in general, or, you know, right. This is a real problem that is, it's based in corruption. It's based on people cutting corners, um, stigmatizing the public sector as welfare and handouts, instead of just saying that we have the resources to take care of everyone. And why is it so hard to imagine a world where we do that? That's, I think, the question that I hope folks ask themselves and, and that they'll be careful before they say like, oh, you know, this, you know, this institution, this higher ed is wasteful or, um, you know, all government is corrupt. That's, it exists everywhere. It exists in the private sector and the public sector. Um, but if we were focused on improving these resources that weren't created to make a handful of old white men very rich, we could, again, it, it goes back to just making a stronger community. I think that that is the perfect message to kind of end on. Like, let's make a better community. Let's look at, look towards everyone else. Let's be nice to your neighbor and let's yes. work, let's work to be uh, just better for everyone. Because again, oh man, I really wish I knew these phrases. Um, <laughs> what phrases? All, all ships rise with the yeah. tide or something like that. That's, yeah. that's a phrase that people say, right? Something like that. All rising tide raises all boats or something yeah, like that. That sounds more right. I think that, we're going to go with the, we're going to go with both of them yeah. somehow. So both of them are when right. When the water goes up, all the boats go up and then they hang out and water fun. makes boats go up is yeah. the, is the phrase. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So again, Ellie, thank you for, for joining in the conversation. Um, if you want to reach out to the podcast, um, you can reach us on Instagram at what do you like podcast. Um, you can reach us on uh, Twitter at WDYL podcast because I'm not as social media maven like Ellie. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a unified one. Um, uh, you can also uh, reach out directly. You can email me directly at uh, Jeremy at what do you like podcast.com um, or check out our website. What do you like podcast.com? Um, smash that like and subscribe i know that's youtube but i just always yes. have wanted to say it <laughs> oh no yeah it's like and subscribe also uh feel free to rate and give a five-star review on apple podcasts um, and any other podcast app that you're listening to it should be on all podcast apps if there's a podcast app that this isn't on um, definitely let me know i'll work to get it on there um, again this is relatively new to me i'm starting to get the hang of it but definitely if you if i'm not at a way that you can be easily reached definitely let me know i'll work to that um and for everyone that's listening thank you for listening and we'll see you next time <laughs>